Okay, everybody, take your seats. We're about to start the podcast. This week, we're talking about highly rewarding habits and how to break them. Take your seats, please. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. My name is Brock Armstrong. And I am Monica Reinagle. And we are about to help you change your mind, your body, and your life. So I hope you're ready. (laughs) So this week, we're talking about rewarding habits. Now, some habits are just habits. We do them because... They just take us down the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. But some of our other habits give us pleasure. And we often think of those habits as being more like an addiction, something that's going to take us a lot of willpower or determination to break or to get over. But what if we told you that you can break a highly rewarding habit without resorting to a monastic lifestyle? That's what we're going to cover in this episode. And we have a fantastic lab experiment for you today. So make sure you listen all the way to the end. Now, before we get into the meat of today's episode, we always like to spend some time talking about what we're working on or what our audience is working on. And we have a great uh, message from one of our listeners that came in on our Facebook page over at facebook.com slash change ACPOD. And it goes like this. I just wanted to share my success story, which has been specifically driven by insights from the Change Academy podcast. I'm a healthy 63-year-old physician. For a while, I've wanted to lose that last three to five pounds, and I felt like doing so would make my body a little healthier and a little more efficient. Your episode on goals versus objectives was helpful in clarifying what I want to be and not just what goals I want to check off my list. I want to be a person capable of taking care of others and contributing to the world into my later years. I want to be a person with minimal risks of dementia in order to accomplish the above. These ideas gave me clarity, but I still found myself succumbing to that no-bake chocolate cookie or (laughs) similar items. And then he goes on and he says, and then came your episode on comfort and familiarity. And while facing that cookie, I began to ask myself, what am I feeling while eating this? Is this really comfort or is it just familiarity? And how does this feeling of familiarity compare with the extra discomfort I'll feel from the drag on my body after eating this cookie? Mm -hmm. And as I explored these questions in a mindful way, I began to doubt that the cookie was really as good as I thought it was. (laughs) Since clarifying comfort versus familiarity I have easily taken off four to five pounds in a way that I feel is sustainable. So thank you for the insight that helped push me forward. Beautiful. Thank you, Stephen, for taking the time to share your insights and your progress with us. That means the world to us. And I have to ask, is a no-bake chocolate chip cookie, is that basically when you just take like butter, sugar, and chocolate and smush it all together and make it into a cookie shape? Honestly, I have no idea what a no-bake chocolate cookie is, and I'm pretty sure I don't want to know, so don't anybody (laughs) send me a recipe. All right. Yeah, don't tweet at us. Okay, so on to our main discussion. You know, Some, but not all of our habits, are reinforced by rewards. I mean, (laughs) buckling your seatbelt every time you get into the car isn't terribly rewarding, I guess unless you count not dying in a car crash as being rewarding. Kind of rewarding, yeah. Yeah, I guess I would, yeah. But yet, most of us do put our seatbelts on every time we get in the car, totally habitually. 
So these non-rewarding habits like this one are formed largely through prompts like the ding, ding, ding sound that you hear when you don't put on your, your seatbelt when you get in the car or just purely from doing it over and over again from repetition. Eventually, you get to the point where you buckle up without needing the ding or any sort of reminder. Pouring a drink at the end of the day or having a delicious <laughs> no-bake chocolate cookie after a meal, on the other hand, can be a habitual behavior that is also a rewarding behavior. Repetition also plays a role here. The more often we repeat those behaviors in response to the same cues, the more habitual it becomes. But the fact that they are inherently rewarding can fast-track them to habit status because your brain is primed to repeat pleasurable behaviors. That's right. And dopamine is the chemical that does that priming. So when you experience pleasure in the reward centers of your brain, your brain also produces dopamine to act as a sort of marker. Dopamine mm -hmm. says, remember this, do this again recreate these circumstances. But here's the problem. Sometimes the same things that are creating pleasure or activating the reward center in your brain are also having negative effects in our lives. Too many desserts and we may end up gaining weight or maybe having our blood sugar start to creep up. Too many glasses of wine and our sleep may suffer. Too much time playing video games and our work may slip. Hey, 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 don't pick on <laughs> video games. You've gone too far, Ryan Eagle. Now, a lot of people believe that the reason that they have trouble breaking rewarding habits like this is because they've become addicted to that hit of dopamine, but that's hmm. not how this works. Yeah. Dopamine itself doesn't actually make you feel good. It doesn't make you feel anything. It simply primes the brain to remember and repeat the circumstances that activated the reward centers of the brain. So it's not the dopamine that you're missing when you stop practicing that behavior. It's actually the reward that you're missing. Now that is, that really flies in the face of a lot of things that, I mean, people believe, including us, prior to doing some research for this for this episode. So maybe we should say that one more time, that dopamine itself doesn't make you feel good. It simply primes the brain to remember and repeat the circumstances that activated the reward centers of your brain. Okay, so, but <laughs> there are two neurotransmitters. At least. That do make you feel good. And those include endorphins, which are sort of notorious or best known from exercise or the runner's high, that's the endorphins there, and oxytocin, which is known to most of us as the hug hormone. So while we may waste a whole lot of time fighting against this imaginary dopamine addiction that we have heard about so many times in the media, we could actually spend that time making friends with these other two <laughs> actual feel-good hormones. Right. Now, repeating the same rewarding behavior not only reinforces it as a habit, as you may remember from our episode about practice, 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 but it can also actually rob us of experiencing other rewards. For example, by always ordering french fries with my burger, I had actually robbed myself of realizing that a caprese salad, you know, the salad with the mm -hmm. um, basil, tomato, bacchini, and, yeah. and it's amazing. It is such a delicious salad. It beats every other salad out there, in my opinion. 
So in a very direct way, by repeatedly giving into my habitualized reward center that was telling me that fries are yummy and you should eat them with your burger, I was actually missing out on a whole other world of delicious flavor out there. So true. And, you know, a novel pleasure is actually more memorable and more rewarding than one that we experience all the time. But, you know, the thing is that engaging in novel behaviors or changing our established behavior patterns requires pushing back against that habitual response. And that's a lot less efficient. And we know that the brain hates to be inefficient. But, you know, even when we recognize cognitively with our upper brain that a habitual behavior that we're indulging in isn't serving us or may actually be causing us harm it can still be really challenging to break habits that stimulate the reward centers of our brain. So we wanted to come up with some strategies that we could use to approach this. And uh, you maybe won't be surprised to hear that the first two strategies that popped to Brock's mind were sort of a a stoic approach. (laughs) Now you know me so well. (laughs) Tell him about that, Brock. (laughs) Yeah, well, my first strategy would be to look at the story about why you think you need or deserve or should get a reward in the first place. That can often reveal an awful lot about what we are actually desiring versus what the story is that we're telling ourselves. Yeah, I think sometimes we hear those stories in the media, like just by getting to the end of the day, you deserve a reward. Yeah, right. Uh, and and they, they kind of become unquestioned rationalizations. And it's always worth just taking a closer look at that sort of a story uh, about, you know, oh, I, I, I get a reward for getting to the end of the day. I mean, one thing that you might realize if if you realize that that's your story is maybe we need to work on your day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if it's so punishing and so brutal that you deserve some sort of reward at the end of it. But, but yeah, so first strategy, take a closer look at that story about that you need a reward or you deserve one or you get a reward at a specific time every day for whatever reason. Yeah, for whatever reason. And the second approach in my sort of stoic list here is to challenge the belief about how rewarding that reward actually is. Mm -hmm. And that sort of goes back to my my French fried um, experiment there of realizing that just because French fries are supposed to be delicious, that uh, there may be some other more delicious things out there. And it may just be a a programming from a previous life that's enacting itself through my through my habits. Yeah, or even Steve's example of the no bake chocolate cookie, like that was his reward. And when he really took a look at it, he realized it's not that rewarding or or that comforting or yeah i had a a friend that we used to play te- we still do play tennis uh, in the summertime on like a saturday morning or something like that and one day after tennis it was really hot we thought oh let's let's stop and get a beer you know it was about lunchtime and we did that and that was fun it was definitely pleasurable and then the next time we played tennis we thought oh that was fun let's do that again and so we got into a little habit of going out for a beer after we played tennis And, uh, you know, it doesn't take long to establish a habit like that, right? (laughs) And I had to kind of realize that, yes, that beer, it was actually rewarding, you know, when you're kind of hot and thirsty, a nice cold beer was was rewarding. But I had to realize that 
it it also sort of cast a shadow over the afternoon because then I was a little sleepy and a little logy and you know maybe I'd want a little nap and then I'd wake up grouchy and and so while while that was truly rewarding when I really took a look at it I realized like it was actually the in the big picture it was costing me more than it was than it was bringing me yeah yeah, I think anybody who's ever joined a running group probably knows the the habit of having brunch after going for a run. Right. And those brunches can be a serious calorie bomb. So you're totally, if you're interested in the calories in, calories out equa- equation, you're, uh, you're totally undoing all your hard work. But the bigger point is that the amount of reward that we often get from a particular behavior is directly linked to how much reward we think we will get from it. See what see what I did there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some studies that have been done on stress that have actually shown that the damage that's done by feeling stressed is directly related to how much we believe stress is harmful. There's actually a study, and I'll link to this in the show notes in case you're interested in, in finding out more, but the study was called Does the Perception That Stress Affects health matter. And they uh, they found out that it absolutely does. People actually were dying earlier who believed that that stress was harmful versus the people who believed that stress was just something that happened. So if you are trying to break a habit that is rewarding, you can try some of Brock's stoic strategies. Just mm-hmm. decide maybe you don't get a reward or <laughs> decide that reward isn't that rewarding. Or you might want to try my more hedonistic approach mm-hmm. probably will also not surprise you that my strategy was more hedonistic. And that was to pick a replacement behavior that's also rewarding and start retraining your brain to repeat that one instead. So you're, this is a little bit like what we were talking about in our last episode. You're taking the sharp knife out of the toddler's hand and handing it a colorful toy instead. And so it's always going to be easier if you're trying to break a rewarding behavior to to come up with a new, perhaps more wholesome or less damaging reward to enjoy instead. So for, as an example, a lot of people have gotten into the habit at the end of the day, at the end of the workday of having a glass of wine or having a cocktail. And this can be very rewarding. Alcohol is something that definitely stimulates the reward centers of the brain. And so dopamine primes us to recreate that circumstance. So people get into this habit, this reward, and it is a pleasurable way to end the workday, wind down, kind of stop thinking about work, relax a little bit, and then maybe having had that, they're ready to get up and make dinner and and go on with the next task. So if that's a behavior that you've decided or a habit that you decide that you want to break, it could be really helpful to think about what else you could put right in that slot at the end of the workday that would also help you unwind, that would also be pleasurable, be rewarding, give you that little break between the workday and then making dinner. You know, maybe it could be playing piano. Maybe it could be going out and and hitting badminton in the backyard or, you know, you get to pick, but there are a lot of things that you can choose that are rewarding that you could replace that other behavior with. And with a little bit of repetition, you can recruit your dopamine to get on board with that and start expecting that reward instead. So we don't have to fight it. We can join it. Yeah, absolutely. And this takes us back to the myths and facts about dopamine that we talked about earlier. 
I mean, remember that the release of dopamine, even though we've been told time and time again that it's <laughs> involved around things like alcohol and drugs and sex and rock and roll and stuff, it doesn't always have to or only revolve around harmful substances or unwanted activities. Like Monica said, going for a walk, calling a friend, having sex, creating art, and even experiencing new things like drying the caprese salad <laughs> can trigger the similar response in your brain's reward center. And that can trigger dopamine and your brain saying that thing, the, hey, pay attention, this is about to feel good and you may want to remember this so you can do it again. And through that process, this old dog can learn some new tricks, and those tricks are not limited to just eating more sugar or having more booze or taking drugs or rock and roll or anything like that. Absolutely. And I think that is a, a really great thing for us to remember. Right. So we can replace a rewarding behavior with a better or a different rewarding behavior that may not have the same costs. Or alternatively, if you're trying to create a new habit around a behavior that's not inherently rewarding, you could always couple it with a reward. So mm -hmm. for example, a lot of us would like to have a solid habit of flossing our teeth before we go to bed. I think we all know that's not a terribly rewarding behavior in the moment, mm -hmm. but maybe you could couple that in your, in your evening routine. You floss and then immediately you do a little face and neck massage as part of your routine, or even just putting on like a really luxurious hand lotion, whatever it is, it can be something very small, but if it's pleasurable, if it's rewarding and you always couple those things together, then that can help you create that new habit. I found just switching from one flavor of floss to another occasionally was enough of a reward as well. <laughs> well, as a stoic, you're very easily rewarded, bro. <laughs> All right. So this is what I've taken away from our conversation so far. Breaking any habitual behavior can be challenging, but when that habitual behavior is also highly rewarding, it can be even more challenging. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things that were once rewarding can become less rewarding and also more costly over time, but they've become habitual. Now, replacing a rewarding but also costly habit with a different rewarding activity can make it easier to break that habit. And we can create a more rewarding life by choosing our habits and our rewards more intentionally. So I have a great lab experiment for you this week. There's three steps to this. Number one, I want you to make a list of all the activities that you can think of that you find rewarding or that give you pleasure. And you want to make this list as comprehensive as you can. Take as much time as you need. And include the really small rewards that you might have in your life, as well as the big ones. So the five-minute stretching routine, but also the full body massage. Think about mental pleasures as well as physical ones. So some things that we do delight our senses, but there are other things that we might do that are just a delight to think about or to contemplate. They count too. Remember to include the things that you do every day or every week as well as things that you might only do rarely or even that you've never done but always wanted to. So not just the half-hour walk in the dog park every weekend, but the two-day hike up to the summit of a mountain. Whatever it is that brings you pleasure, that you find rewarding, put it on the list. 
include things that are active uh, participation as well as passive. So listening to music or making music or painting or going to an art gallery or maybe baking a cake or even, yes, eating a piece of cake. It all Mm -hmm. goes on the list. And finally, I want to make sure that you're not censoring the things that you think maybe you shouldn't enjoy or you wish that you didn't enjoy quite so much. Put it on the list. If it feels good, if you do it, if it brings you pleasure, put it on the list. Now, everyone should have a list like this. Everyone should have a long list of things that bring them pleasure, that they find rewarding in their lives. This is going to be something you want to hang on to. But if you're having trouble thinking of things to put on your list, coming up with things that feel pleasurable or rewarding in your life, then this week's lab experiment is priority number one for you (laughs) for the next, for as long as it takes. But you could just spend the next few days kind of taking some notes as you go through the day on the little things that do bring you pleasure or the big things. Or you could even just use your imagination and make a list of all the things that you think other people (laughs) find rewarding or pleasurable or that you see other people enjoying, whatever it takes. Let's make a nice big list here. Okay, that's all step one. Step two, now that you've got your list, review that list. And now I want you to put an X next to anything on that list where you feel like the cost to you, and that could be the cost in time, in money, in energy, in your health, in your emotional well-being, any cost whatsoever. Put an X next to anything where the cost of that reward is greater than the actual pleasure you get from it, or even just more than you want to pay anymore for that. Mm. And then finally, step three, I want you to go through that same list one more time. And this time, I want you to put a check mark next to those things that would make your life better if you did them more often. So I would love for you to take a look at this list once you have it and think about how you might use that information that you have collected here to create positive change in your life and to make your life more rewarding. And I think that that sounded a little more overwhelming than it actually is. It really is a three-step process. One, make the list of activities you find rewarding which can be challenging, but you can do it. The number two, review that list and look for anything where the cost is greater than the reward. And then number three, review your list again and put a check mark next to those things that would make your life actually better. So it's a it's a pretty simple but maybe challenging experiment. And we'd love to hear about how this challenging experiment goes. And uh, you can let us know how it goes if you visit us on social media. We're Change ACPOD on Twitter, on Instagram, and also on Facebook. And you can drop us a note there, or you can send us an email to hello at changeacademypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. And maybe we'll even use you in a future episode. Okay, that's all we've got this time. We will see you next time. Let's see what we can do to make our lives more rewarding this week. All right. Thank you, everybody. This has been the Change Academy podcast. Don't forget to do your lab experiment. It's a good one. See you next time.